Welcome to Reclaim Your Power, Inspiration and Reflections for Before, During and After Childbirth, a podcast about birth, getting in touch with our bodies and talking about things that aren't often discussed or that you may not find in mainstream sources of information, a podcast to transform the way you plan for and approach birth, moving from fear and uncertainty to empowerment and inspiration. My name is Fungisai, which means to remind, and that's what I aim to do here, remind you that the power lies within you and that it all starts with you. In many parts of the world, women keep their babies close by carrying them around with them everywhere they go, whether it's to work, to attend social occasions, to buy food in markets or shops, to visit friends and relatives. It's normal and natural to see mothers with their small babies in their arms or on their backs. When we look at the animal world, and especially at primates, our closest relatives, we see that they always carry their babies either on their back or hanging onto their tummies. And of course, we have kangaroos who are lucky enough to have ready-made pouches for their babies. So carrying our babies is something that we have had to do or that we have chosen to do because it keeps them safe and close, and also because we haven't really had alternatives. But as time has moved on, especially in the global north, we've stopped carrying our babies around so much, partly because in our affluence, we've been able to develop and buy prams, pushchairs, buggies, whatever you want to call them, the vehicles in which we can place our babies and comfortably push them around. These are convenient because we can also put all the various equipment we need for our babies in them. Nappies, wipes, cloths, blankets, lotions, toys, the list goes on. There is so much that we have come to depend on that we carry around with us when we leave the house with our babies. Things that we begin to see as indispensable. But are they really? If we look at women in the global south, carrying their babies on their backs, getting on with whatever they're doing outside their homes, Do you see them carrying big bags of baby stuff? Well, they can't afford or don't have access, you may say. Yes, that's a point. But we should also ask ourselves, is all the stuff we love to buy, all the consumerism that we engage in, is it really necessary? Or are we just putting a lot of money unnecessarily into the pockets of multinational corporations that have made businesses out of pregnancy, birth and childhood stuff? Now, I'm not saying that I haven't fallen into this trap as well, but as I've moved out of that time in my life, I now question the choices we make, the choices I made, and what drove or drives those choices. So, baby wearing. This is the trendy, I don't know if that's the right term, word for carrying your baby either on your back or on your front as you go about your day. The way this has been presented is almost like it's something new. Wow, look what we've discovered. I find that hilarious since all over the global south, women have been and still are carrying their babies. And yet when we in the global north decide that this is a good thing, it immediately becomes a fad and big business as companies churn out all sorts of baby carriers from simple cloths to complex structured carriers. When we look at those women who've been doing this for generations, there's nothing particularly special about what they use to carry their babies. They use a variety of materials from 
colourful, multi-purpose wraparound cloths to big bark towels to simple, structured cloth carriers. What is most important is not the cloth, but that the baby is securely tied to the mother's back and is comfortable and safe. When you look at all the little babies on their mother's backs, you see a little head and a small person that is quiet, calm and content, hearing their mother's heartbeat and experiencing what I talked about in my last episode, mutual regulation. What I've often noticed here as I'm walking around or traveling on public transport are small babies in prams away from the mother's body and often restless, unsettled or crying. Maybe the baby is just tired or hungry or it's changing, I don't know. But I often think to myself, why don't you just pick up your baby and hold them close instead of patting them as they lie there far away from you? I often wonder if the baby would be so restless if he or she was lying close to their mother's body, tied securely, feeling her heartbeat. And then I ask, why are we in this part of the world so afraid to keep our babies close? I don't want to romanticize the situation of women in the global south because many women, especially those living in the rural areas, live very hard lives and probably would look enviously at women over here with all their baby paraphernalia and wish they could have the same. It's human nature. We always want what somebody else has, especially when it makes their life easier. But when we think about small babies in those early months of life, when they are totally reliant on us, when we are learning each other, trying to figure out this parent-baby dance, when our babies believe that they are an extension of us or we are an extension of them, then keeping them close is crucial. So why don't we do it? Why do we often put our babies away from us? Well, many of us were not carried close as babies, so it's an alien concept. We were picked up, fed, bathed, changed, rocked to sleep or comforted when we cried, played with, and then we were put down again in our cot or bassinet or pram to sleep. I've also heard it said that if you carry a baby too much, you are making a rod for your own back. This means you are punishing yourself because your baby will become dependent and won't want to be put down. Your baby won't want to be away from you. Um, no, your baby never wants to be away from you because you are the center of her universe. She depends on you completely. So of course she feels most safe when she's close to you. This is normal, natural, and right. As far as I'm concerned, you can't spoil your baby because you hold or carry them up. Research shows that babies who are held often grow up to be secure adults because their needs for closeness were met early in life and they were securely attached, not just physically, but emotionally to their parents, especially their mother. And this is crucial to their development. Neglected children usually, not always, grow up to be neglectful or distant parents because they were never shown that love, care or closeness and thus did not become securely attached to their caregiver. Now here I mention caregiver because this is not always the mother. In some circumstances it can be the father, grandmother, older sister, or some other family member. Or it can be a caregiver or housekeeper. In Zimbabwe and in many other African countries, many households often have a female helper, who is usually a housekeeper and carer for the baby or children. This person keeps the baby close when the mother is away, if she has a job, and usually this person carries the baby around on her back as she does the various household chores, 
So the baby is kept close, not to their parent, but to another warm, caring person. So back to the issue of spoiling your baby. I'd like to reflect on the issue of crying it out, letting your baby cry themselves to sleep so they learn to sleep by themselves without their mother or father close to them. I don't think this is practiced in Norway, at least I've never heard of it being discussed here. But when I lived in Scotland, this was something I heard discussed and that I read about, which I find shocking. Maybe I should have talked about this in the last episode on sleep, but it fits under keeping the baby close, so it's okay if we talk about it here. There's a whole lot of literature and you'll find websites that advocate this, but to be honest, I think this is one of the worst things that's been advocated. Remember, this is my opinion. You're welcome to make up your own mind on this. As we all know, babies cry for a reason. It can be distressing for first-time parents to have a baby who seems to cry all the time. Usually, babies cry when they're hungry, need a nappy change, are tired, are afraid, or are in pain. As a mother, you learn, as you get to know your baby, what the different cries mean. It's not always easy, but you start to figure it out, and also through trial and error, what the cries mean. You could just go through the checklist, hunger, nappy change, etc. A baby in pain usually shows other symptoms. So, for example, if they have earache, they'll tug at their ear. I remember when our second son was about a week or two old. He went through a bout of screaming. It was so hard. I was struggling with breastfeeding. I had all sorts of infections in my breasts and had to take antibiotics. I was sleep deprived and really at an all-time low. And then he started having these crying fits. And they would go on for about an hour around the same time every evening. It was so distressing. I think he had colic, which means gas or trapped air in his stomach, which if you've ever had trapped gas, you know how painful that can be. I googled and looked for remedies, and we carried him up and down, rocked him up his tummy, gave him gripe water, laid him tummy down in a hot water bottle, which was, of course, carefully covered in a towel, and nothing helped. He just kept screaming. I remember one day, I just put him down in his cot and looked at him. I had tried everything gone through the checklist, and he wouldn't stop when I was out of ideas. So I put him down, looked at him, and said, I don't know what you want. I don't know what's wrong with you. And he just kept on crying. After a few moments, I saw this tiny little thing in some kind of distress and knew that he needed me. So I picked him up again and held him close. This lasted for about a week, I think. I don't remember, but it felt like a lifetime. In situations like that, if you've tried everything and gone through the checklist and your baby still has these unusual crying fits where he seems to be in pain, then it's definitely worth going to your doctor or to the baby clinic to get some help or support. There is no shame in showing that we are struggling, especially in the early days. If you don't have family support or good friends around you, make sure you reach out to professionals. It's better to get help early than to let things escalate. Colic can be a real strain on parents. And we were fortunate enough to only experience it with one child. And I think it was caused by the medication we both had to take. But I have no evidence. All I remember is that it was tough, but that at least my husband and I supported each other. I remember thinking, now I can understand how people can hurt their babies. Most of us are horrified when we hear those stories and wonder how a mother can do that to her own child. But when people are in difficult circumstances and do not have support and their baby is crying all the time, 
I can understand how they snap or disconnect or get depressed. These are very real challenges we will face, and there should be sufficient follow-up and support in the postnatal phase. If you feel you need the support, a postnatal doula can be a great resource. Just to have someone you can talk to, who can support you in the early weeks, and who will not judge you. However you do it, if it's hiring a doula or reaching out to a friend or colleague, reach out when you need help. Don't suffer in silence because this is neither good for you or your baby. So back to keeping your baby close and the crying out method. As I said, when a baby cries, they're not doing so for fun. There's a reason, and the quicker we respond to our baby's needs, the less our babies will cry. Yes, babies need to do some crying because it's important for the development of their lungs, but it shouldn't be prolonged. The crying it out method is supposed to teach your baby to settle himself. Now imagine when you've been hurt either physically or emotionally and your family or friends have come around and supported you, giving you a shoulder to cry on. This helped, didn't it? Sometimes just getting a hug makes us feel better. We need this human closeness, contact to connect. So why would you deprive your baby of that? Why would you believe that your tiny baby needs to learn to sleep independently? What effect does this have on your baby? I've read that babies that are subjected to this sleep training cry and cry and then eventually learn that no one is coming, so they withdraw and go quiet. Does this sound healthy to you? Or is this a child learning that no one will come when they're in distress? so they can only rely on themselves. Imagine how scary this is for a little being that is still very new to this world. I know there are different approaches to this method, some extreme and some more reasonable, where the parents go in and out of the room to reassure the baby. If you decide to do this type of sleep training, remember that it may have side effects that you may not see immediately, but that may show up later in childhood or in life. The thing to remember as you go through the early phase of parenting is that this will not last forever. Your baby, as they grow, sleep longer and learn to naturally sleep more independently. But what we need to do in the early days is to make sure they feel safe and to reassure them. Let them feel loved. Once we have established this firm foundation, we'll have securely attached independent children who are ready to face the world. So, should we carry our babies and keep them close? Obviously, I believe this is the way to go and is a great way to build attachment between parents and babies. There's so many different types of cloths, ways of tying the cloths, and also carriers out there. I remember thinking the baby Björn, which I think used to be the most well-known and popular soft carrier 20-odd years ago, was great until I started reading about how to carry your baby. If only I'd looked my own heritage, I would have seen the best way to do it. But as I said, we always think that the way other people do things must be better. With my eldest son, I carried him, yes, but although I tried to tie him to my back, I never quite got the hang of it. And I didn't really ask anyone in my family, or maybe a part of me didn't think it was the modern way to do things. Hmm. But he was carried by other people like my housekeeper, who looked after him while I was at work. With our second son, now I was in Europe and appreciating my own culture. I was very keen to carry him. But again, I wasn't quite sure what was best. So he bought a padded sling that we could wear over our shoulders and he could lie flat in it. This worked okay when he was small, but he soon grew too heavy 
and it wasn't the most practical carrier. It was actually a total waste of money. What we did use a lot, though, was a structured carrier that my husband used. This is made of metal and canvas and good for the outdoors when hiking or going for walks. Otherwise, we used the buggy or pram quite a lot. It was only with our daughter that I felt I got the carrying right. I really did my research properly this time. The privilege of being an older mother. I had a better understanding of what I wanted and what I didn't want. That's when I discovered the term baby wearing and all that includes. I decided that a piece of cloth was too complicated for me, especially once I'd watched the different videos of the different ways to tie. And I also wanted to protect my back. So I needed something that would be comfortable for baby and me. I also really wanted to carry more on my back. I settled on a soft structured carrier, the Manduka brand, which wasn't too complex, was comfortable to wear, and I could use it from when she was newborn. When she was small, I had to carry her on my front, but once her back was strong enough, I could carry her on my back, and this was great. This baby was carried a lot. I would put her on my back and get on with my household chores, and she loved being close. I think I used it up until she was about three years old. What I learned about front-facing carriers like the Baby Bjorn, although this product has improved, is that it's actually not good for the baby's spine and pelvis to be carried facing forward. The baby or child should always be carried facing in because apparently facing forward or facing out tilts the spine in an unnatural way. This really surprised me. And after reading that, I started noticing the difference in the baby's posture when I saw someone using a forward-facing carrier. Some of these carriers have the baby hanging in front of the parent and do not support the baby's pelvis well enough. If you look at babies in more traditional societies on their mother's backs, they're usually carried with their legs spread out and the cloth tucked under the baby's bottom to provide good, firm support. This, I discovered, was the good way to make sure the baby's pelvic area is fully supported. The old baby Bjorn type model had a narrow support between the baby's legs, which left the baby hanging on his or her crotch. The other point made was that facing the baby outwards led to overstimulation as you walk along the street or in the shopping mall where the baby is constantly bombarded by external stimuli. And as we know, overstimulation is not good for babies and can make them stressed, unable to relax and unsettled. So although we may think it's good for the young baby to see what's going on, it can get too much for him or her. Carrying the baby facing in means that they are more focused on the mother and are kept more calm, close to her heart. Once they're a bit older, then they can look around, but what they can see facing in is more restricted, so this reduces the risk of overstimulation. When carried on the back, they're again shielded by the mother's back, and although they can see to the side, the visual area is reduced. This was very interesting reading, and I wondered how many people actually know this. I know more and more people are doing research and figuring out what is best and how to carry their babies, so that's great. Do what suits you, but just make sure that you're carrying your baby in an ergonomically safe way. We carried our babies a lot. My eldest son was carried by many different people, by me and my extended family, so he learned early that he was loved and kept close, and he has grown into a strong young man. Life has not been without its challenges for him, but I strongly believe that the confidence, strength, and resilience he shows now is because of the secure attachment he had as a baby and how he was kept close. As both my husband and I are not believers in the myth that carrying your baby is bad for them, our two youngest were always held, picked up, not given much of an opportunity to cry alone. 
We have always done our best to respond to their needs as babies and as children. We're not perfect parents, but by holding, cuddling, carrying our babies a lot, we have established strong bonds where, because of secure attachment to both of us, they are not afraid of people or of trying new things. One could say it's personality, but I believe it stems from keeping them close in those early weeks and months. I've also watched children of various friends and acquaintances and noted that those babies who were carried and kept close tend to be more confident. So yes, nature plays a role. My kids have very different personalities, but I think nurture is important too. And one of the most important things we can do for our children is to make them feel secure and not hold back our attention or our love, especially in those early weeks. We need to remember that there is a crucial development that happens in the baby's brain and the baby's nervous system during that time. Even though they may just seem to be lying there, seemingly not doing much, the amazing human body is at work, making links and building connections. There is so much we still don't know about human development. But if we can do our best to give our babies a good start in life, then we've done the best we can do. So keep your baby close. It's good for you and it's good for your baby too. This is the last episode in this first series of my podcast. It's been a great journey, a steep learning curve of the technological side of things. But I'm glad I started and didn't get myself bogged down worrying about equipment and sound quality. What I felt I had to share, I've shared. And sometimes we just need to make a start and learn and improve as we go along. Thank you for being patient with me. And for those of you who have followed this journey and hung in there, I deeply appreciate your support. I have shared from my heart. And I hope that at least one thing I have shared throughout the 17 episodes has made you reflect or remember. I have shared my views and my experiences. And as I've often said, they are my views. They are things that I have learned. Things that I wished someone had told me the various stages of pregnancy, birth, and beyond, and that I decided to share with you. This is not the end of this journey, but what I hope is the beginning. I don't know how this podcast will evolve, but I know it will. I started with pregnancy and birth, and I chose to also add beyond to keep things open. I know I have a lot to share on a lot of topics, so we'll see where we end up. Season two will come soon, and instead of hearing only from me, you'll hear from other women who honour me by sharing their reflections of their pregnancy and birth experiences. I look forward to season two and to those conversations. I hope you will join us. If you have found this podcast helpful, interesting, thought-provoking, or even challenging, please share. I would also appreciate any comments or reviews. My podcast is now on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave a review. I'm always happy to hear what you think and to learn. Thank you for being here, for listening. This is Fungi Sai, reminding you to reclaim your power. <laughs>